0: Welcome to This Property Live Podcast. We're back for another season. We took a short break over the summer to recharge our batteries and to record some awesome new content for you guys. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking all things industrial and warehouse investments, risk management, PPR strategy, and the art of outsourcing. For our new listeners, my name is Mark Winship. I'm a professional property developer, investment coach, and mentor. In this first episode of the new season, I'm delighted to welcome Jill Green back to the podcast. And Jill is joined by her husband, Darren, to tell us all about their latest commercial investment project. This will be a fascinating listen, so let's get straight into it. Let's hear now from Jill and Darren Green. Hi Darren, hi Jill, how are you both?
1: Hi Mark, we're good, thanks. Yeah,
2: great to meet you, Mark. Good, yeah,
0: good, good to speak to you guys. Um, Darren, it's it's the first time we've uh, actually spoken, kind of voice to voice, so uh, it's good to good to meet you albeit virtually. And Jill, thanks for joining me again. Um, I've been I've been dying to catch up with you both actually because um, I know Jill, you're a, a regular on the podcast, and we we talk about all sorts of uh, issues that. Uh, property investors can relate to. But actually, I want to um, really focus on you guys this morning because I know you've got a really exciting project that you've had on the go for a while um a commercial project and it would be really useful i think to just uh hear where you're at with it and a little bit of background about the project um and i think i think some of our listeners will find it really really fascinating sort of how you got into this deal and where you're taking it so maybe just give us a bit of an overview about the uh the property you know the one i'm talking about so um give us a bit of a an overview on on the project
2: yeah Yeah, so uh, yeah, Marcus. So I think we're right in the midst of it actually just now. So we're looking to try and fill fill the rooms. But if I rewind back, it's probably about a year ago. Yeah. Um, we would always had a bit of ambition to kind of get into the commercial property space. We've been in the resi market doing buy to lets. Uh, we've got some service accommodations and a HMO down south as well. But we, yeah, we were keen to get into commercial. So we. We have a SAS pension that we were looking to utilize, even though we didn't end up buying this pro- project in the SAS pension. That was one of the drivers for it. So we started looking about probably a,
1: summer, actually.
2: Yeah, about 18 months ago, something like that, maybe last summer, looking at um, deals in and around Ayrshire, so commercial space. And to give you a, a backdrop from that, like most town centers or city centers, kind of city centers are okay, but town centers, there's quite a lot of empty space, quite a lot of empty retail space, quite a lot of empty leisure space closing. Um, and we felt there was there was a growing market, particularly on the back of lockdown, for sort of small office space where we could go in like small one, two-person um, businesses, maybe wellness businesses, things like that, accountants, solicitors. They... That we could go in there and actually offer something which was, um, you know, different to where what was in the market, um, and actually just start to bring some of that that um, old space, that unoccupied space, kind of back to the market. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we did. Um, yeah, we, we, and
1: round, round about that time, because obviously we knew a little bit of the theory on on commercial, and um, we started um, spending time with Jerry. Yeah. Uh, who we all know Jerry Alexander um, and looking into his uh, all the great work he's done in cmo space so um, that uh, that influenced quite heavily in terms of what we were looking for. Um, the Ayrshire side um just to pick up on the area itself um we know that area really well we actually the, the purchase of the commercial or the finding the commercial property actually coincided with us moving. Um, to Ayrshire, Um, we spent, well I've spent over 20 years in in Glasgow but I've originally come from this area of Scotland so we've got all our team here, we've got good connections here and we've got a passion for, well I certainly do (laughs) from here, I'm making it into Darren's passion for (laughs) the area as well but um, yeah so there's a lot of kind of rationale for the area as well. So,
0: what's um, specifically about the commercial strategy that attracted you then? So, obviously, you've got a good-sized residential portfolio. What was it that sort of your tick boxes for you in terms of commercial
2: then? Yeah. So, I, I think for me, it would have been, you know, I really like the CMO model, would not far out of the HMO model. So that kind of gives a bit of a flavour where you're less looking at the. It's a relatively small HMO that we did, five beds, so it's not a commercial valuation that we ended up on it, but it opened our eyes to the fact of resi is very much um, the the value of the property uh, is relative to the land that it sits on, whereas commercial, yes, that's still important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And Actually, I really like this idea of Going into somewhere, increasing the value through occupancy and the type of tenants that you were bringing in. So I, I really liked that. Um, and then secondary, I think we were looking for office space for ourselves. So getting out of the house, um, I've had a run a coaching business for the last couple of years. So it's not the type of thing that you know I want to be doing online, which kind of felt like everything was going online. So it was really a move for us to go and get some office space for ourselves as well. So um,
3: Yeah,
1: just another two from me. One was just diversifying a little bit, spreading the risk. Um, Like, before we come on, obviously, Darren was mentioning up here in Scotland. um, Our government uh, is making it a little bit more difficult for landlords. I don't like doom and gloom. Like, there's still positives in that. But, um, yeah, we just felt it, it was a good opportunity to move into a different strategy and um, and also just kind of similar to the hmo model like if you've got like a te- or we- we've got mainly licensees and our, our units and we to speak about that in a minute but um yeah if one of them moves out then you still got um the income coming from the other the other people in that building whereas so it's similar to the HMO in that sense, whereas in a buy to lay, if you've got a tenant moving out, then there's no income all of a sudden for a few months until it gets filled again. So yeah. I quite like that side of it yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that makes sense. And it's, it's interesting what you say about um, uh, the changes that uh, Nicola Sturgeon's bringing in to the resi market up in Scotland and, you know, I think regulation across the board regardless of strategy is something that potentially people fear and and are scared of and I think one of the things that defines you as a professional property investor is your ability to adapt right is your ability to recognize what strategy is working in a particular area at a particular time um, rather than just running yourself into a dead end so it's it's really interesting to hear the way you guys are pivoting to sort of see a trend and, and recognise an opportunity um, rather than just keep trying to plug on in the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: and, and I-, I think if you if you rolled back maybe, what, like three years ago, I probably would have been the one that was saying, we're not going to do anything else. I love Bags Lips. And I still do love Bags Lips. They're total the bread and butter. But we would probably be OK if we don't buy any more Bags Lips because we've got that good base.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, albeit, I think where we stay... And like, know how, like, obviously when we're looking at buy-to-lets or looking at any strategy, it's like, well, it is easier if you can buy them in the areas around where you stay. And I always think being in, in Scotland, specifically in the west coast of Scotland, we're very lucky for looking for buy-to-lets because there's a lot of areas that work, particularly for buy pre-finance, for there's a lot of areas that work really well. It is harder now to find the deals that maybe we were finding three, four, five years ago. But I still wouldn't say absolutely no if a really good deal came way. Like the last buy to let we bought was in January, December, January, I think. Yeah. So we're still out there. Mm. But I think it's once you've got that base in, I suppose, like yourself, Mark, because um, I know that you've kind of moved into different strategies as well. It's, well, it gives you the opportunity to scale up and, and look at things that maybe were a bit, like commercial was a bit scary for for me, certainly. Yeah. Like in, in day one. Yeah. But
2: it's, it's an interesting observation you make about kind of pivoting and where you kind of see competition. And I guess we've never really maybe looked at it quite that way but I mean, even when we started, we were, you know, up in Glasgow trying to find buy lets So we had no buy lets at this point. And we were going to properties, you know, five years ago where there was a queue of investors out the door yeah. and stuff going like 20,000 over. And everyone just now is talking about how difficult it is. But I think it was equally, you know, as difficult. It was just different challenges at that point. Um, and we ended up moving location. So we kind of pivoted where we felt there was maybe less competition but there was still opportunity Um, and I guess there's probably a learning in that that you know we've kind of moved into a few different strategies and just dipped our toe in the water maybe checked to see where we see some some opportunity but I think there's something around you know not trying to keep putting a square peg in a round hole um, and knocking against it and not being not being afraid to kind of stop reflect and kind of maybe try something slightly different like don't change the goal change how you actually end end up going at it
0: yeah and would you say that your experience in the resi market has uh you know you've drawn from that in in this commercial deal would you suggest that a background in Resi is critical if you're going to move on to commercial, or would you say that actually the two are very different? And you know that there's potential to to start out in commercial without any Resi experience. What's your take on it? Looking back now,
1: I think it's not it's not necessarily critical, but I think it's definitely beneficial. Like for,
2: I don't think we would have done it, no, it we, that way. We, we, we would have went straight,
1: it. and it's it's probably easier for like. The average person to understand to let for example, than to understand like, like CMO.
3: Yeah.
1: Um. Unless you've worked in that space, um. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's
0: critical.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know there's a, there's a we've come across people before. If you're a business owner, you have been for multiple years. You've maybe been in and out. You've maybe leased space. You've maybe been a licensee. And the understandings of that are maybe you've even managed a property, like a commercial property business as a management agent. So I think if you're in those types of areas, I think moving into commercial wouldn't be as scary for us. It kind of just felt quite murky and not quite clear in terms of how do you value the property? Where are the businesses that are going to come in? It felt you know quite different. So I think the Resi experience, it was more about having a solid foundation. For us to kind of feel okay with taking that next step into a a relative unknown.
1: Yeah, and the fundamentals. Some of the fundamentals are the same. Like when you're looking at areas and where is the demand and start with
2: the end in mind. Yeah, all of
1: that. That's all the same. I think it's just maybe you're going to be speaking to slightly different people. There's going to be some jargon words that you'll use that you didn't use before. Um, Like, I do remember when we started, like, one of the things Jerry was always telling us is get in the swim. Um, I'm sure you've you've heard that quite a lot now, Mark, as well. It's one of these terms. But, um, yeah, so it was like that getting in the swim was quite interesting because, like, at first I was like, well, I don't know how to get in the swim. Like, who do we actually contact? And actually, when it comes down to it, I mean, it can be as simple as Googling, (laughs) like... commercial agents in whatever area. Um, and then when you when you find that, you realise the world and commercial, I think, is is a lot smaller because there's less agents. They actually generally do want to help you. Mm. Um, they're maybe not as you as sometimes with the the Resi agents, like, I don't know, like some of them, I just know that I'm not going to have as much rapport with some of them can be more helpful, but um once you're in there with a with a commercial agent yeah. and you've established yourself to a degree, that doesn't mean to say buy-in, but just like that you're serious then yeah I find them really sure. really nice
0: um, and they behave differently don't they, they do. i've definitely noticed the same thing that the the way of doing business if you're a commercial agent and the way of building relationships with a commercial is very different to a a resi market and i guess some of that's just kind of supply and demand isn't it and uh you know your, your typical kind of resi estate agent isn't necessarily massively incentivized to um you know, to to work really closely hand in hand with investors when they've got countless people walking through the door and, you know, it's a, it's been a bit of a seller's market for the last couple of years, whereas commercial, like you say, it's a slightly smaller world and there tends to be a slightly smaller pool of investors who are buying up a lot of the commercial property within any given area. So it is about gaining credibility and trust with those agents and building that relationship, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we've,
1: we've still got a lot lot me to go on that so that we can get better deals but because our first one was it was on the market it wasn't like and, off some little list or anything but
2: but yeah I mean we were out there so we got in the swim we started looking at some properties to be honest we didn't really know what we were after but kind of to, to to give it the the listeners a bit of an insight into what we went out there looking for we were looking for a relatively small so uh, square feet. We were looking for no bigger than sort of five thousand square foot. The one that we bought ended up being four and a half. And um, one of the things we really in- looked for was something that was partly occupied. Yeah. Something that had the ability for us to we could go in there. There was income on day one, but we had the opportunity to raise the income and raise the value. Yeah. Um. So we were going out and we looked at so many different deals, most of which were vacant possessions, So there was n- nobody in. Um, and a lot of which were like quite quirky. So there's maybe like an old butcher shop. And so we went and seen quite a few different types of properties. And this one that we went and seen, uh, which is in Irvine in, in Ayrshire, uh, really ticked the boxes. And we, I think we put in our first, we went and viewed it probably a year a year ago today. Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, no, it was earlier. It would have been about the summer last year. Yeah, so... Yeah, we, we ended up viewing it. We ran some kind of hypothetical numbers. The great thing about it, um, given some background to it, um, it's like two houses almost, if you two large sort of three-bed houses yeah. together. It used to be an old train station before the war, and um, we ended up getting shown around it, and DM Hall, the surveyors, operate one quarter of the building effectively. So you've got a really strong tenant in there. They'd also just signed a 10-year lease, extension to their lease, um, which was fantastic. Um, And there was some other rents coming in from some of the other rooms. And then we had the upstairs, basically, um, which was about 2,500 square foot that was completely empty. There was one previous tenant. And I think where... No one had really shown interest before Is They were trying to lease the whole space, and it was quite a large bit of space. There aren't that many businesses in Irvine that would be that size that would be looking for that type of space in there. There'd be plenty of industrial space, like industrial that size um, and bigger, but for, for office space, there's not that many businesses there. So It also
1: looked very dated, like speaking to... We were we actually using DM Hall as um to promote the space as well. Um and what they were they're saying was they could potentially let that space out, but it could take a long, long time. And also, if you can imagine, it's like when we when we viewed it, it was like last done up in the 80s or 90s, like blue, dingy, like just smelly like just not nice
2: 40 year old radiators yeah like, that.
1: Uh-huh, like the old storage heaters and yeah it just wasn't nice um so you you can understand why nobody was do really necessarily interested in it but it is a really lovely building uh, and that's one of the feedback we've had so far as people who have came and seen it is the fact that it's it's got such a, a lovely facade at the front. It's like an old sandstone building. Um, and then inside we've got all the lovely high ceilings and, and stuff like that and some bay windows. So we've we've retained that yeah. um, because we know that that's going to attract people rather than there's there's actually a large um, it's like more, it's about double the size of ours, if not more, um building across the road from us. Yeah. Um, and as part of our research we were looking at well how much how filled is that one and um, when we were looking at the sizes of the individual rooms it's kind of laid out similarly um but a lot most of their rooms are all bigger than ours and yeah. um, but they've had the same idea over the last few years to cut them up and then let them out yeah. and right now they are filled and um, the manager of that building is very, like, really nice, really helpful. He said he's actually going to, like, pass over any any contacts that he gets as well because he very much views it similar to us, that, like, with everyone, like, improving that street and that part of the town, it's just going to help each other. Um, we're not in
0: direct competition. worry you having a, a direct competitor across the street then? You, you've seen more... More advantages in collaborating than
2: concerns about competition. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um
2: there's some practical things in there. So I think their their room sizes are from like two seventy square foot. So to give the listeners, you're not aware of square feet sizes, I, I would say that's probably about a five, six person office. Um so they're five, six bed, uh f- five, six person offices and above and larger and they've got a mixture of kind of larger retail front shops so they've got an estate agent and things like that and then on the first and back of their property they've got a a few more larger offices so our space was slightly smaller so our rooms are about you know more like two person offices one two person offices up to five six so there's some crossover um, but there's not a lot um, but I think we found probably, you know, in part is the education and surrounding ourselves with with like-minded people, you recognise that just because you're working in the same industry, you're not competition with each other, right? There, there, there can be good competition and good reason to be able to pull yourselves up to a higher standard. But there's enough for everybody to go around, um, yeah. and they've no more space anyway, which is uh, which is really good. So. I think that, that was one of the reasons that we we kind of went, yep, yeah, let, let's go and get this, because the demand, I think they were about 95% occupied, yeah. um, and they, they were still fitting out a load of the shops. I think they still are, actually, just now. Um, so they're now in a position where they're totally full, which is great for us, because we yeah. can get some overflow.
1: Yeah, and as I said, they're very open. I was um, in, in their offices last week. Uh, and the manager was just taking me around all the offices just showing me what was there because no doubt at some point we'll be able to help them and so I suppose it is good to
0: build those relationships right. But you've touched on a key difference or a couple of key differences already between resi and commercial one of the things that I think makes CMO quite an interesting proposition and that is to do with room sizes and what you're able to rent them for and the relative price per square foot because coming from a resi background generally it's not always the case but generally the bigger the property rents for more money but in CMO it can be quite different can't it And, and actually it's about understanding your target market and you've talked about that top floor being not that it wouldn't rent out but it might take longer it's a much more restricted market companies that are likely to want that sort of space and yet and, and the slight what might seem as a, a slightly counterintuitive thing is that actually by dividing that space up you can actually charge more not in a literal sense but you can charge more uh, per square foot by charging out uh, renting out smaller spaces which is the yeah. interesting mindset shift, isn't it, from coming from a resi background. And that's one of the things I think
2: makes this strategy really quite interesting and
3: exciting.
2: Yeah. To, to, give, to give a feel for that in terms of the, you know, the the numbers on a on a lease space. So we've got a tenant in there paying and without giving the exact kind of figures around it. But let's say ballpark, it's kind of eight to ten pounds per square foot. You can maybe push that to twelve pounds per square foot. The full occupancy. Of the building would probably cash flow around about maybe two and a half to three grand yeah. um, per per month, which would be which would be great. Yeah. By licenses, cutting up into licenses, we felt we could push revenue. revenue. Yeah, so revenue, not 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 profit, profit, but um, the revenue we could get in by cutting it up into smaller rooms, we we thought we could push that over over five thousand, and certainly, yeah. you know, looking at the. Um, demand coming in just now the the revenue looks like it will hit that we're obviously then taking the risk on the cost side of things though because we're covering energy we've not put a service charge in place for existing licensees yet but you can just see just to give a scale it's not quite double but it's it's not far away so it's kind of the difference between eight to sort of 12 pound per square foot to 20 25 pound per square foot and
1: that's one of the things that obviously going into commercial you would very much be looking at in terms of well, what is this, the cost per square foot that you can rent this out in the market and it all depends on your model so if you're going for like a fully repairing lease then that figure is probably going to be then on the lower end um but if you're offering like Rooms where they've got like shared kitchen facilities, and you're covering the the energy and and the likes. Then that cost is going to be higher. And like actually, uh, one of the things we found interesting, Mark, is when we started off this, um, like when we were looking at the differences between some of the towns in in Ayrshire, for example, like um, and um, another town that we want to potentially buy a commercial unit in the cost per square foot that you can rent out is is nearly double what it is in the town we bought it in. Both are fairly reasonably sized towns, um, but it's interesting the difference of of the demand the cost yeah. for the space in the different towns. So you've got to like really focus in on that. We got quite a lot of information from a commercial agent who like wrote me like honestly, it was like the best it was the best bit of information I think we got in the whole process. And it was like literally this big, huge email detailing what everyone was paying in the local area. Cause he did a lot of the advertising for the other units. Yeah. Um, and that was really helpful, but we've actually found just, I think it's just, you've got to play like it through like as you go. And so we've already increased it slightly because we, we had a bit of a concern on the energy cost. Mm. Um but that's not to say when we get it say 80% filled, we increase the, the cost on the remaining units because then obviously like our 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 whole office space will be a lot more yeah. um, interesting to, to come along to see because it's pretty much filled by then.
3: Yeah.
0: The other thing you touched on that um is uh, quite a different sort of mindset and approach to resi is the fact that you're part of your hunting brief, if you like, was properties that are parts tenanted already. And yeah. no, obviously from a resi point of view, sometimes tenants in situ can actually be a problem. Uh, and we quite often avoid that situation, but you were saying that that is something that is, like on your wish list if you like that there is there is at least some income already being generated by the property now what would be the reasoning for that and uh, I guess that's linked to funding right and and um, and how lenders would look at that from a and that's how this is different right they're looking at the income generating potential of a property as opposed to sort of the bricks and mortar value right
2: yeah and also it helped where I mean we wanted to We'd ideally like to buy it cash, but like most listeners, we don't have, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds just sitting in our bank our bank account just waiting to drop in. So we work with private investors. Um, and on this particular one, we used a mix of private investment and bridging. Now, the bridging loans and the finance cost for it was covered on day one by the, the occupied tenant. Yeah. So it really de-risked the project. So I spoke a, a bit earlier around how our experience in Resi gave us the confidence to step into a relative unknown because we had that, that uh, foundation. But then the other thing that was beneficial was it felt really low risk to us that yeah. because we had a tenant paying from day one, we could we knew we could always sell it. yeah we Looked at some strategies like, what about if we converted it to service accommodation? yeah uh, There was opportunity as well and precedent on the street to be able to go up another floor as well. So it's currently, a, a, you know, um, it's got two floors on it, ground and ground first floor, but we could go up another level as well. We decided all of those things, probably let's, let's keep it as low risk as possible. Um, so very little in terms of the way internal, in fact, no internal reconfiguration whatsoever. The rooms were already segregated for us. So we didn't need to chop it up and put up stud walls. But the fact the tenant that we had in when we bought it, I think we were bringing, we had two tenants paying 500 pounds and we had uh we had yeah, uh, so 750 in, coming in
1: 750 coming in on
2: day one when we bought it and that that was so refreshing i remember seeing the jar i love commercial yeah <laughs> we, we went in and it was like an email to the tenant and it was paid in that on that same day
3: yeah
2: and they're not tenants i guess i keep describing that in, yeah. in terms of residential language they're customers they're licensees yeah. in that space but it it was so refreshing on day one we knew we, we could more than cover our finance costs just on the existing rent. So the upper that we were developing out as um, was all profit, was all upside. Yeah,
0: and that's really cool, isn't it? I I, th- I think that's one of the things that really I think is is cool about this project. It really makes it sort of stand out for me is the fact that you that having that initial tenant in place covered your covered your cost of money, if you like. And that gave you the flexibility then to get creative with the rest of the space, bought you a bit of breathing space, I guess, um, and get creative around how can we really maximize the offering in the rest of the building, Um, which not a lot of people. And, and, and again, that, that that is something to be said for the strategy, but not a lot of people have that um, luxury, right? That, you know, as soon as we get a property, it's we, we, we've we got to, you know, carry the cost of money for X amount of weeks or months while we refurbished and we're, we're really sweating the cost of money for that period before we can refinance and hopefully, fingers crossed, rent it out at the end.
2: I would say that's sometimes a good thing, though. And, you know, you yeah, touched tax, like, on this off-camera. We've taken a bit longer on this, and I think sometimes yeah. you need that. Sometimes yeah. you need the pressure and the sweat of like, oh, now my bridge is coming to an end. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: there's, there's some stuff that obviously we've not had to deal with before. And and Maisie, that it's, it's maybe taken us a little bit longer to go through that learning curve, and we've had the we've had the pressure off a wee bit to be able to do that and not be stressing out about it. And we've had some other projects on the go as well at the same time. Um, So, yeah, we can give ourselves a kick about, yeah, we could have done this a lot quicker, um, but we've got, we do have the time. Um, The bridge actually um, we took out was over two years. um, Albeit we are looking now, even though it's not fully filled just now, we are in discussions with the broker to look at right well given because it was a a, there was a lot of questions about right so if you've got strong leases in place that's your traditional like longer term they do like everything like if something's up with the building they'll potentially even have to fix that um so if you've got all of it on the lease then it's probably more straightforward for the with licences, these are more flexible. Um, so ours are um twelve month licences, and um, where thereafter they'll they'll be rolling. It's three months um exit on them, so our three months notice on them. So some lenders don't like that as much as the leases because the the value of that. Lease
0: or the, the you're, you're potentially never never that far away from vacant possession again, are you? In yeah.
1: The- so if if that's the case, so um, we're kind of going through all that just now. Yeah. Um, so although yeah, it's probably one thing for people to watch out because um, although you can maybe make more cash flow mm. if you go down the like the license chute then you have to weigh that up with um, what you're going to get in terms of the lending so we'll come back and talk to you and actually, a similarity between
2: probably a buy to let and service accommodation as well so your buy to let maybe a little bit more more secure but it's kind of one one tenant so all your income's in there but it's maybe a little bit more steady the energy's getting paid council tax etc when you're operating as a service accommodation you're taking a little bit more risk here. Sure, you can bring in a little. You can bring in more revenue, but you're also having to consider things like broadband, your utilities, um, and yeah, and therefore any void periods hurt you a lot more because your cost base is a lot higher.
0: And you're going to have to convince the lenders of your business model and the demand that you've established. Are you finding it the same? I know where we we see a similar situation in service combination and hotels where. lenders particularly at the back end need to see evidence of track record so they need to see you know they're not just necessarily going to take your word for it that it will generate this amount of income over the next year or so they're going to want to see that that has played out are you finding that they need to see that that it's run for a while and that that the demand that you say exists does seem to exist
2: i think we we probably are going through that we're right in the middle of that right now so to give you an insight we the bridge we took a bridge out with um is it Shawbridge. Shawbrook I couldn't remember I was going to say Shoebrook there <laughs> Shawbrook and one of the reasons we did that was because they were comfortable with the mixed lease and license mm. and and actually they just required it to be filled yeah um to then apply for a mortgage product with them those goalposts seems to have changed slightly, um, so we're going out to market to have a look at a few um, options okay. just now. But the information I've had from my broker, in my conversation so far are: as long as it's filled, then then there are there are options there. So I think that's a kind of that's a kind of key thing there. Okay. Um, there is some lenders, as with I guess Rezi, who take a slightly different approach. So some lenders might say you need to have you know, two years worth of experience as a commercial landlord. Some might say you need six months uh, worth of books and seeing the revenue coming in and making sure that's tight before they'll provide lending. But I, I think, I, I mean, I'm I'm very confident. i am definitely come from our approach of half glass full, and that might be foolish. There is so much money out in the commercial bank and commercial lending space needed to get out. So generally when that happens, there will be, there will be a need, and there will be a supplier, whether it's a niche supplier or not, a niche lender looking to kind of push that money into the market. So, would we take on a higher interest rate um, to go with a more niche lender? We probably would. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense. So,
0: what have been so in, in practical terms, obviously, the the lending side of it is. Um, uh, you're right in the thick of that and that's that's quite a sort of fluid situation but in terms of like the practical the refurb purchasing the property etc what have been a couple of the biggest challenges would you say that if, if someone else was looking to get into a similar project or a similar strategy what would you say to them with some of the, the biggest challenges that you've faced the biggest learnings i guess
1: um so i'll just reel some off the top of my head um i'm thinking about like challenges of getting it um for me was about like obviously in the resi side um we always talk about like like it's only worth like what like the numbers say and stuff like that for us when we were looking at this project like I remember like looking at it online and I think originally they were looking for something like 400 grand for this property and it was like oh, wow like how um, and then it was marketed at I think it gone down to something like 300 or something um, and then just having that conversation with the agent it's like when you're looking at your buy to let's at the start and it's like on for 95 and you're like oh my figures work at 60 how am I ever going to speak <laughs> about that um in commercial I find that a lot easier because actually quite often it's like marketed at what the the seller wants yeah. not necessarily what it's worth um so I think once I got over myself yeah. in terms of like pretty much offering like nearly 100 grand difference then that that was that was a good challenge to go over and it's it's Dan is a good state now. Like I, I now very much realise, yeah. like well, just got to do your numbers and and offer what, well, what it is. Yeah, yeah don't don't be do. don't be
2: led by the advertised price. I think there was specifics in commercial. Uh, you know, on the resi side, you can go to Rightmove, Zoopla, you can speak to estate agents. It feels quite easy to get an answer. You ask three different commercial agents what that might be worth once it's filled, you'll get three totally different answers, and I'm talking. 20,000 pounds of difference, like you know, well, probably up to you know 60,000 pounds difference. So it varies a lot, and um, so that was a that was a challenge for us. But again, it felt like it was worth the risk to learn to do the learnings because of all the things we mentioned yeah. before, um, and it's just
1: getting out there and, and viewing, like, like this is like what I would say to everyone. It's like just get out there, like what Jerry told us to do, get in the swim. Because at first we were like, oh, we're a bit worried about. Like what if they ask us something that we don't know? What if they say something and like we don't know really at that point exactly what we're looking for? But it literally on this building, the first time I viewed it, I was standing upstairs in the upstairs unit and there's like ten office rooms all off, and then a shared kitchen, and I was like, This is exactly what
3: he
1: yeah. was talking <laughs> about. Yeah,
3: this is like good. it
1: couldn't it couldn't have been any perfect more perfect. and um, one of the other challenges that I would say we faced was obviously moving from doing resi um to doing something like this like yes we've not had to knock any walls down or anything but the it, it did feel quite big and mm-hmm. um, i know i mean it's like four and a half thousand square feet that's bigger than any house we've ever refurbed. Mm-hmm. um and although that feels normal now when you actually go to doing like something like this it's like well, your customers different so like you've really got to think about well, what is it they want and like yeah. just I felt like for me it was kind of going back to stage one again thinking about right what's the process of the refurb what is it we need to do and um, some things have taken longer like we I want a new door on the property so we've got three front doors effectively we're in a conservation area um, the third front door is for the upper, but it's kind of offset from the street. I want uh, what well, I wanted. I'm not getting that now, but I wanted like, I like an. I want a new front door. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was
0: like kind of, it was like it wasn't know, me, by the way. Uh, that was. It was
1: Darren.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, it was planning. So because it's a conservation area, we're going to have to. I'm still going around that, so we've kind of had to refurb the door that's there. So that we can get it filled,
3: okay.
1: whilst we deal with that, and we'll just retrofit it. Um, like dealing with car parks, like uh, this may sound crazy, but car the car parks probably been one of the things that has made me like Dan and always like don't don't stress about that stuff. But one of the things that um I think if you're buying like an office block like this, where there is car parking facilities. This building that we had had been empty, apart from some of the units on the ground floor, for some time. Now, the car park has not got a barrier, partly because the building at the other site has got right of access through it. Um, And people who work elsewhere and the town have been using it to park because it's been empty so nobody's challenged them on it yeah. so I'm now turning into the car park police <laughs> uh, I, it shouldn't be an issue once we've got it all filled we've got more than I think we've got about nearly 30 car parking spaces so we've got ample car parking for everyone in our office Yeah, but yeah it's been probably one of the pain points so I think it's just Be aware who your neighbours are and make sure you're speaking to them um, if you are buying a building like this and like just get to know what's going on. In many ways, it's a good problem as well.
2: So like having a car park that size, we've probably got, you know, a surplus of space, to be honest. I mean, we were even thinking of you utilising some of it with some containers or things like that, but um but we're, we're not going to do that at the moment. But yeah, there, there's more than enough space. But I would look at that if you are buying it. If, if you're looking at office space particularly, like people need to park. You know, if it's near train stations or bus stations and stuff, then that might still be okay. People commute in. Customers, if you've got wellness clients, so the public actually going into those those space, then how are they going to get there? Because yeah. if their customers can't get there. That business isn't going to be there. And um, So... Think about all of that—that—that that, yeah. that type of thing. I guess go, going on.
1: Yeah, two others. One, <laughs> uh, one that Darren is—you'll go- <laughs> see Darren's face going in a minute, Mark. Uh, one is a uh, broadband.
3: Yeah, I thought you might. Have-
1: uh, uh, for for anyone looking at a similar space to this, get that started ASAP because it's probably been out of everything, even the car park. Uh, out of everything the, the most painful process for something that should be well probably shouldn't be quite simple it's probably a lot more
2: complicated than, I, than
1: it... I think but um but even coming from a corporate background like some of the hoops and like we we had the delay because um we had an engineer come out and um, look at everything tell us like yeah this job looks really easy and then lo and behold the address was wrong on the form that was sent to them uh, and it's had to go way back to the start again
2: Uh, i think think the the starting thing with broadband is open reach whether i'm allowed to say this or getting legal challenges, i'm sure it'll be fine (laughs) but they've got the best part of a monopoly on that that service so it's unlike the resi i guess you've got a few different operators that, that that you could manage you've got Less restrictions on getting broadband from the street to the to the house, and yeah. um, you you can usually go with multiple different suppliers. With this, you can commercial. You can still go with multiple different suppliers, but ultimately, you still need to get it from the street into the in, and in, open reach control the
0: infrastructure, don't they? Uh-huh. With a lot of resi stuff, so yeah,
2: and you can't speak to them, so it's all done through intermediaries. So I think we yeah, we were waiting f- to give you context. I think end of. March we'd put in right this is what we'll need um, and then we are waiting you know I think end of August was when the, the actual assessment was done um, as Joe says mm-hmm. so yeah obviously there's some learnings on on our part uh, even though we provided the right people with the, the right information the wrong information ultimately went on the the, the report so it's it's ultimately it means the most to us no one else in that process cares about it as much as you do so 100% like learning in terms of going forward
3: yeah. we, there's
2: there's other options there where you can get like backup and whatnot but i think getting a fixed line broadband in a commercial unit like almost as soon as you get the keys even maybe before start start having those conversations so that you can get that you can get that process kicked off
1: yeah and and the last thing i was just going to mention was we had some interest quite early on in in upper units and um, let people in to see it and they said that they wanted it. Um, but what we didn't do, which I would say you should do, is get your, your license drafted up, get it signed, uh, even if it's for a much future date for entry. And yep. Get a deposit taken because unfortunately for one of them their their life situation had changed. So she pulled out, but what adapt what we had done was put in a different right. type of flooring in that unit, and we just went on kind of goodwill. But um yeah, so that's a little bit annoying, it's not the end of the world, but yeah, we maybe showed people it too early. Um, but it kind of shows well there, there is demand, right? So now what we're doing, even at the moment, we've got um, accountants moving into one of the spaces. Their their start date is the first of December, but they're they're signing their their license now and paying the deposit now. Yeah. Um, and effectively, we're not. We won't. The only point we won't show that room is if they pay the deposit. That's how they're
2: securing. Yeah. Up until that point, now it's everything's everything's still getting advertised. Yeah. Um So. So yeah, but that's that's probably. It. I mean, I I do think there's, you know, getting it filled quicker and getting it focused on cash flow, I think is a really key one. Um, yeah. so yeah, we probably because it was it felt relatively low risk, we did have some other things going on. But um, but yeah, definitely we would focus, you know, on getting, you know, bums on seats, getting people in the offices quicker. And even if we're doing retrofits to some of the windows or some of the other areas we don't need to have it completely finished before we start marketing it. i think you know you know start marketing it almost as early as you can so you mentioned marketing so where are you finding the uh,
0: the the well not tenants but the the licensees where are you finding people to fill the units
2: oh, all over yeah. <laughs> um, so
1: what we've done is um we're working with another two guys who are who've also got commercial building, started similar time to ourselves. Um, One of them we've known for a number of years in the area. So um, we basically joined forces in terms of the cost of marketing. We've got a website set up um, and Darren is doing some some advertising on socials as well. We've got our social media pages. So we're basically promoting it under Ayrshire Flexible Workspaces. Um, And we've got, like, five buildings, effectively, that and three of the towns that we're promoting on there. So um, our recent ones um, have actually, our two most recent ones, interestingly, have came from people who have just Google searched us, like Office Space, in that town, and have found the website and then come directly to us. We've had some good leads through one of the things is obviously getting it onto the portals mm. like obviously right move and then you've got other commercial portals as well but um what we did was we agreed um with um because it's all individual units like I believe normally commercial agents will work on a percentage basis yeah. but we've just um agreed with um the commercial agent like to get it onto the portals for any lead he passes us to us and we convert, we'll just pay him um a set amount when that when that licensee then so it's um, like
2: a, a tenant hundred hundred. yeah, yeah, yeah so it's so just
1: a tenant five very but, similar
2: like maybe one month's rent or something like that maybe slightly yeah more.
1: so at It was done that way so that we could get it on the portals because we were like, we want it across as many places as possible. And then the other thing is speaking to people. So one of our units we filled, and it's the same in Resi, right? It's like whether we're finding properties or... Like, even you do it for investors as well. Um, It's anyone I speak to, particularly any of the trade guys, like, we had um, our security guys come in at the unit yesterday. And I was like, listen, now, bear in mind, they've been up, like, spending time in the unit. They've done all the security for it. Um, It was just setting up the fobs for me yesterday. I was like, listen, um, obviously, if you know of any company, anyone looking for office space, like, I'll pay you a referral fee. If, if you give somebody my name and, and they take the space. So it's just speaking to everyone. One of our units downstairs, um, it's like a pre-office unit with shared facilities and it's like our beauty hub. Um, so it's well being at 43 and we've got like um massage lady in there. We've now got like, a in one of the rooms, we've got a girl who does nails and a girl who does eye, eyebrows. When they moved in, I said that very thing to them, and literally a week later, I had a call from their friends who are it's two hairdressers that were um, renting like a rent a chair like round the corner. and They wanted to set it up on their own, and they are now moving in on the twenty fifth. So um, I will be paying money to to that other uh, licensee. So it's just talk to people, tell everybody.
2: And I think in terms of like the type of people bringing in, we're still feeling out who that is. So we've had everything from the wellness hub is now filled, but we would prom- we would still accept where appropriate, I guess we'd still accept some sort of health and well being sort of uh, mm-hmm. clients on the in the office space. But we've had historians mm-hmm. in. Um, my coaching business is obviously going into that space just now as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep a boardroom for meeting space. Which I can run workshops in, but we can rent out as well. So we can monetize that. And um, Jill said there's an accountant taking up one of the space now, they're 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 booked in. Yeah, um, we've had
1: mortgage broker interested. He's ended up going for a bigger space elsewhere. But I yeah, it's it's supposed we did have somebody who's a tattoo artist in choir, but I just don't think that was going to work in that particular f- space. Um, but yeah, it's just a... We're just kind of testing that to see. Um, but yeah, it's there seems to be enough demand. It's just getting the right people in. And, and as I said earlier, it's making sure you secure them as well.
0: And I guess having related businesses, although you're not necessarily going to turn away, you know, a good quality uh, tenant or licensee uh, in any industry, unless, like you say, it just doesn't fit for the building. But having related businesses there's some cross-pollination there i guess isn't there and um that they, they, they probably benefit from being in a, in a sort of hub style environment yeah. as well.
1: yeah we were I, I mean i personally was very like specific about what type of people i wanted in that like the the beauty or the health the beauty hubs because I, I wanted it to be that kind of one where it would cross-fertilize each other and also Like, it's so important that those people in those units get on because there is only three of the units in that space, whereas upstairs there's 10 offices. We are going to be there quite a lot. Um, So we can help, like, influence the community and that sense of belonging um, up there. But downstairs, like, I'm kind of having to make them work at Gelling themselves.
2: It's a bit like HMO, I guess, maybe in the resi side where you you want to make sure. I mean, anyone that's ever had a resi HMO, if there's fallouts and stuff like that, it can cause a real pain. So I guess it's trying to manage that as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And I think like we are meeting everyone who comes in to view that space. So, you know, yourself, like you can you make a bit of a judgment quite early on. Uh, about the type of person that's going to be your the questions that they're asking you like if they're definitely interested like you're you're gonna vet their business as well so um what's been really nice is pretty much all the businesses in so far are established to a degree like more our beauty ones they've said that they don't actually need more clients yeah. they've already got their client base so it's not a case of scaling for them it's a case of having their own space yeah. um, and our accountants are similar so it's it's yeah it's an it's a le- we're learning as we go because obviously some of the things that we're finding when people come to view we've never come across that before because we've never had a commercial building before but yeah it's just all about fitting and, and making sure that w- will they be a good fit in the space
0: and as this, I appreciate you haven't completely gone through the full cycle with this one yet in terms of getting it 100% filled and refinanced and everything else. But has this whetted your appetite to do more stuff in the commercial space?
1: Yeah, we're out looking just now. Um, I think the next one we buy will be from with our SAS. Um, like We've been trying to get in this building next door. I'm trying to get in for about six months Um but uh, we're still working on that. That would be quite a nice one to get. Um, you've seen that one, Mark. But, um, yeah, we're looking elsewhere as well. So, Brilliant. yeah, watch this space.
0: Excellent. Well, Jill, Darren, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your, uh, your project with us and for being so open about... Uh, the ups and the downs, because I know that's really where our listeners will get the most value is, is hearing, you know, the, the real sort of hearing from the horse's mouth, as it were, with you guys actually in the middle of it in the thick of it. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Uh, Good to speak to you both. I hope you found that interesting. I think it's fascinating to get that perspective midway through a project that's in progress. Thank you so much to Jill and Darren for being so open and honest about their experiences. If you find it useful to learn from live project examples like this one, I know I do, then I would strongly recommend that you check out the Property Wealth System YouTube channel. There are so many great examples and projects for you to learn and take inspiration from. Just search Property Wealth System and hit subscribe so that you never miss an update. I'm really pleased that we're back with some fresh content for the podcast. I know you're going to love it. Do you know somebody else that you think would enjoy it too? We would love it if you gave us a share on Instagram or Facebook and tag in anybody that you think will enjoy the content too. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode.